Well, hey, listen, if you have your Bibles, join me in Acts chapter 1. We began last week a, a study through the book of Acts, and hopefully you have brought your Bible, whether in printed form or digital form. Uh, so that you can follow along with us. Uh, while you're turning to Acts chapter 1, quick reminder tonight, we are having our first Youth United night. Uh, it is for middle school, high school, and those in college. We're going to gather, we're going to have food, dinner, games, um, uh, worship. I'm going to be bringing a message tonight. Um, and we're just going to encounter and create space to meet with Jesus. And so... Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have teenagers, to get them here. Doors open at 5 o'clock, and uh, we'll, we'll go till about 7 o'clock tonight. So a couple hours hanging out together. It's going to be a good time. Are you in Acts 1? Good. Would you stand to your feet as we honor the Lord and read his word? I'll read out loud, and you can follow along in your Bible there. This is what it says. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary and the mother of Jesus and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, about 120 believers were together in one place. Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all of its intestines. The, new, the news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place an Aramaic name, Akaladama, which means field of blood. That's just the parenthetical statement in case you were wondering what happened to Judas. Now you know. Verse 20, Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and, was, and has gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. This is the word of the Lord. And the people said, amen. amen. Hey, before you're seated, turn to somebody and say, I pinky promise. I pinky promise. Come on, tell them. Tell them I pinky promise. And then you can be seated. I, I want to talk to you today about God's pinky promise. God's pinky promise. The promise of God. Here in this text, we see uh, that the, the apostles went back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives where they were at. They, they went back to Jerusalem. Why were they going back to Jerusalem? Well, here's why. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Jesus, while he was eating with them, commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised just like I told you about before. Acts 1.8 says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus had given them a promise, a promise from God. God had given them this promise that he would send them a gift, a gift in the form of the Holy Spirit. Why is that so important? I've said it before, that God never promised us to save us by grace. He promised to save us through the work of the Spirit in our lives. Grace is the activity of the Spirit in our lives. Grace is an unmerited favor. What is that favor? The favor is the fact that God gives you His Spirit, which does the saving work in your life, and the favor is the fact that He allows His Holy Spirit to rest in your unholy life. Not because you are so lovable, but because he is so loving. Not because you are so holy, but because he is so holy who is making you also holy. Grace is the personification of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus said again and again and again, I have a gift for you. The Father has a gift for you. That gift is the person of the Spirit that we receive that brings about the saving work of Jesus now in our faithful allegiance to him through our trusting faith that brings it about until the end when he returns. There is this gift he wants to give you. And this gift is going to come with some power. And he needed his disciples to take the message of his resurrection throughout the world. Why? Because it was not just a message for now Jews only. It was a message for many people of all walks of life and races and spaces where they were living. They had a mission to accomplish. We talked a little bit about that that mission. Now, Now, this coming Saturday, we have a group of about 10 from our church getting ready to head on a jet plane, and uh, they're going to head over to Guatemala. We have two missions outreach partners in Guatemala. They're going to have the opportunity to serve and partner with them and work alongside them to be a witness in the power of the Spirit of the resurrected Christ and the love of God that's available for all who would believe, even Guatemalans who would believe. I share that with you so that, number one, uh, you can be praying for those of us who are going. I'm going along with them. They're going to be doing some construction projects. Uh, Not to worry, they still don't trust your pastor with a hammer in a foreign country. So I will not be participating in construction projects. I've got some speaking things and some conferences with pastors and working with their team and some organizational stuff that I get the opportunity to do. But we have many other skilled laborers and people who they trust with a hammer much more than me. And uh, we're We're grateful for that opportunity to go into that part of the world, bearing witness to the resurrected, loving Savior of Jesus. The disciples had a similar mission. The Lord is calling, and I believe he's calling my son. Love you, buddy. He's more popular than his dad, so friends are calling him at all hours of the moment. The disciples were heading back to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus told them to go back to Jerusalem because there was a promise awaiting for them. Friends, I want you to understand the God that we serve is a promise maker and a promise keeper. God is a promise maker, and he is a promise keeper. God is a promise maker, and he is a promise keeper. All through the scriptures, we see God promising things. Many of his promises, though, have conditions. If this, then that. If this, then that. If you repent, you can be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, instead of any other God or entity out there, energy force that you want to have good vibes about, if you call on the Lord instead of the good vibes, then you will be saved. It's an if, then, this. Many of the promises are like that. They require elements of our obedience and our participation. It is God who is the Father, who is a promise maker, who is also the promise keeper. I think for all of us, we've looked and lived our lives looking for things 
that are certain. We, we want certainty, which is why so many of you have control issues. I'm not naming any names, Matthew Hunt, but some of you got control issues. Why? Because something in the human condition is looking for certainty. Here's the problem. When you have certainty, you don't need faith. And all of the promises and the gifts of God require and are received by faith. Faith is a loyal trust in an embodied belief that you have in God. Not in a result, but in a person. So many of us are looking for certainty in this life. And God is asking us to have trust and faith in him. In the promise maker who will be a promise keeper. Sometimes we get a little upset because um, God did not meet our expectations. God is not on the hook for your expectations. He's on the hook for his word. His word never returns void. It never fails. Your desires, hopes, and infatuations about what you assume trying to control God to do in your life, that, he's not on the hook for that. He's on the hook for his word, for the promises of God, for the things that he said. And the disciples were in a place where God was saying, I'm going to give you what my father promised to send you. Go to Jerusalem and wait there for the promise to arrive. In our lives, there is a gap of time between when a promise is given and when a promise is fulfilled. Always is a gap, a space, an amount of time. Something that happens in between. Uh, your kids will let you know about your promises you made to them. They are relentless in reminding you. Even if the promise was a maybe, they heard a yes, definitely. Come on. Any parents can testify to that? Like, you say, I don't know, maybe. And they're like waking up the next morning. Hey, mom, dad, you said we would do this. I think I said maybe. No, no, no. I heard the words come out of your mouth. Do it now. Right? Like there is this element of certainty that they have. They heard this word and they want this thing, but, but there is often a gap. And it is in this gap that we find ourselves waiting. We wait often for the Lord to fulfill his promise. We wait. There was a period of over 400 years when the children of Israel were waiting for the Messiah to come and God seemed silent. There was a long period of time of waiting before Jesus ever began his ministry. There was a long period of time from when David was anointed king and then he actually became king. There's always a gap of time in the waiting and what you do in the waiting is the most important thing. It is the most important thing. How you wait for the promise to come. How you wait for the promise to be fulfilled. How you remain faithful to the word and the teachings and the life that he's called you to while you're waiting for the promise. That really does matter. What do we do while we are waiting for the promise to be fulfilled? I want to share two things that we can do and one warning on what we can do while we are waiting for the promise of God in our lives. While we are waiting for the thing that we believe God has spoken to us. Number one, while we're waiting for the promise, we need to obey whatever we were told last to do. What was the last thing God told you to do? Do that. For the disciples, it was go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait. Don't, don't go. Don't start the mission. Don't start the initiative. Don't start the organization. Don't start preaching. Don't do nothing. Just wait. And so what did the disciples do? They left the Mount of Olives and walked the half mile or so to Jerusalem, back to that space where they could wait. You have to obey whatever you were last told to do. Obedience is always the part we play. Always is. What was the last thing God told you to do? Some of you are sitting there, Pastor, I haven't heard God speak in a really long time. 
Have you obeyed the last thing that he said to do? Have you obeyed the last thing that he said to do? Why, why, why is that important, Pastor? Because God doesn't waste his commands. He's looking for faithful stewards who he can trust with a little before he can give them much more. Everything in the kingdom of God comes by faith. Everything about faith really has, a, has an element of stewardship attached to it. Even the commands that God wants to give you, the obedience that he's asking you to take. Some of you are sitting there, man, I, I can't hardly understand God's word anymore. I, I just don't feel his presence anymore. I haven't done this. Have you obeyed the last thing he told you to do? What was the last step he asked of you? Did he ask you to go to growth track and you haven't signed up yet? Did he ask you to get baptized and you haven't done that yet? Did he ask you to give forgiveness to someone and you're still holding on to bitterness? Has he asked you to take into class and learn something new to develop a skill for your life? Has he asked you to make a phone call? Has he asked you to, to, to begin a new habit? Has he asked you to stop an old habit? What was the last thing he spoke to you to do? He's waiting for you to obey. I love how the Bible says that it was a half mile's journey. It's not a very long distance. But often there's a really huge distance between what we hear God asking us to do and us actually doing it. Sometimes what he's asking us to do seems so insignificant and small. We're like, yeah, that ain't worth it. There's another way to do that. God is waiting for your little step of faith before he can give you the full amount of what he's asking of you to do. See, when God begins to give promises and things in your life, rarely do you get the full picture of his plan. He normally just gives you a step to take. For most of my life, in fact, I'll go all the way back to, I was probably seven, eight, nine, nine years old or so. And I knew that there was a promise that God was giving me, a calling on my life for ministry. I knew it at a young age. But there was a lot of time between eight, nine years old feeling the call of God and now being 41 years old leading a church. There's a lot of time in between there. There were a lot of steps to take. He had, I didn't know when I was eight years old, nine years old, that this is what it would look like. I think sometimes if God gives us the full picture of what he's going to do in our lives, what he's asking of us, the full amount of what it looks like, I think sometimes we will screw it up trying to control outcomes rather than putting our trust in the Savior. And we're trying to sort it all out. And, well, it, once God tells me everything, then I'll obey. That's not faith. That's not an embodied loyalty. That's you trying to bargain with the Almighty. Can I just let you know, rarely does it work out well to bargain with the Almighty. Friends, God wants you to take a step of obedience in the direction that he's asked of you. There may be promises on the other side, but what's the step? Maybe you believe God is going to heal you. Have you gone to the doctor yet? Well, no, I'm just waiting for the miracle. God gave you a brain. Use it. Call a doctor. Quit being arrogant and prideful, bro. Well, I just, I really need to lower my cholesterol. Well, change what you're eating. Well, that's way too much work. Well, quit. Just. Don't over-spiritualize obedience. Obey. I'm always stressed out. I'm always worried. I'm always struggling with this. Well, have you prayed about it? Well, well no. I, I ain't got time to pray. You got time to worry. When was the last time you took a break and rested? Are you violating the principle of the Sabbath, expecting God to come through miraculously? Little steps of faith. Here at Faith Church, we love talking about next steps. Why? Because I really believe following Jesus is about one step of obedience at a time. One little step at a time. One, one thing to do. One thing to start. One place to go. One, one step along the way. God is looking and waiting for you to obey the last thing before he tells you what is next. What do we do while we're waiting on the promise of God? We fully obey what he's asked of us in the meantime. That's what we do. 
We wait with obedience. God delights in faith in his people. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is an embodied, loyal trust and allegiance and obedience. God is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. And in the process of your waiting, there is obedience that is required on your part and mine. The disciples obeyed. They went back to Jerusalem. As we'll see next week in Acts chapter 2, the promise shows up and the fulfillment of it is there and it's present and it's powerful, it's undeniable, it's something crazy, miraculous, and it unearths a new momentum for the kingdom of God in amazing ways. But what if they didn't go back to Jerusalem and wait? As best I can tell, it was probably about a seven-day period of time. Uh, Because from Passover to Pentecost is 50 days. Earlier in Acts 1, it says that Jesus was with them post-resurrection for 40 of those days. Well, we know where three of the first days were in that process, so I'm just kind of doing some basic math, thinking 10 minus 3 equals... Seven. Okay, I'm just making sure that my math facts are good. I like words more than I like numbers, but this is my, my guesstimate is that the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem for seven days before the promise showed up. I think that's significant because seven is the number of completion throughout the New Testament. It's this perfection of the fullness, a completion of God's design and desire. Don't stop short of obeying God because it may just be the very next day that you are faithful to obey that the promise shows up. You might just be one day away from God answering the promise. Don't give up. Stay obedient. Go back. If you failed, go back and do it again the right way. Be obedient to what he spoke to you. Go back and do the last thing he's told you to do. Go back and do the last thing that he's told you to do. Number two, what do we do while we wait? Not not only do we obey the last thing and the things that he's asked of us, and we keep obeying until the promise shows up, but number two, we remain faithful to pray and be united with others. We want to remain faithful to pray and be united with others. This is what they were doing when they met together. Verse 14 of Acts 1 says, They all met, somebody say together, and were constantly united in prayer. Seven days. Constantly met together, and they were united in prayer. They did not get distracted. They kept focused on what they were supposed to do. They remained faithful. They could have gotten lazy about it, but they remained faithful about it. They could have given up, but they stuck with it. They could have gotten mad that somebody didn't let them lead out in prayer that day, but they stuck it out. They could have got upset that somebody was worshiping a little more loud than they wanted them to and were a little bit off key and a little bit annoying, but they kept meeting together. Seven days. Some of us have a hard time giving God one hour every week. Because we got so many other things going in our life. They remain faithful to pray and be united with others. Friends, prayer unites us to God and it binds us with others. Can I just give you a marriage tip? For those of you that are married, when you're mad at your spouse, start praying for your spouse before you confront your spouse. Pray about it. Don't send the text. No, 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 no. That's, that's really bad. 
There's a a lot of misinterpretation between them words. Don't trust their emotions. (laughs) No, 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 no. Don't send that text. Pray about it. Not only pray about it, pray for them. Pray God's blessing. Don't pray, God, I pray that you would smite them. I pray that you would convict them of their sin. That's not praying for them. That's praying for a result. Don't do that. God, I pray that you would love them. God, I pray you would give me your heart for them. Help me see them the way. Same thing with your kids. Pray for them. Why? Because when you are praying for someone God's best, it unites your heart with them. It does something in you. See, I believe prayer doesn't necessarily just change external things. Prayer primarily changes us. Why? Because you're the problem. Because I'm the problem. Prayer unites us to God and others. They were gathered together, don't miss this, in unity through prayer. Gathered together in unity through prayer. You cannot, this is going to sound so profound, I know. Just wait for it. You cannot have unity individually in isolation. That's called being an individual. If you don't have unity when you're all by yourself, that's called schizophrenia. (laughs) James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's true. Why? Why? Because if you individually want to have allegiance for Jesus but also love your money a whole lot, you're going to be unstable. So, so there are some warnings to some things about your allegiance, your loyalty, and your affections. But unity actually implies that there are more than one people. There are two ways to have unity. You can have agreement or somebody has to have submission. When it comes to the kingdom of God and following Jesus, if you want to have unity with Christ... You can walk in agreement with him, but there are things in the word that you might find disagreeable with your life and your lifestyle. I'm just telling you that you only can have unity with Christ in your life, in your relationship, when you submit your life to his ways. Two ways, agreement, unity. You want to have unity in your marriage? (laughs) Two ways. You can have agreement, but when you come to the crossroads of a disagreement... The only way to maintain unity is someone has to submit to one another. And Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another in love. You cannot have unity individually and isolating. Unity is corporate. It is not an individualization. It is corporate. You, You cannot have unity without prayer. Because as humans, we're really arrogant, stubborn, and let's see, what's another good way? Oh, yeah, prideful, opinionated, selfish. And it's in the process of prayer that God begins to change us. And he begins to change who we are. And in that process, unity can be found. They were in the room for seven days altogether. Some of you barely survived family vacations for four days. Come on, let's not take the human factor out of the scriptures, friends. They were together and they remained. Why? Because there was an element of prayer and seeking God that was occurring in their lives. They were together in unity through prayer, through communion with God, through connecting with the Lord, through seeking the Lord above all else, through prioritizing his presence and his ways and what he said he would do. There is something important about remaining faithful. Remain faithful. This whole entire collection through the book of Acts, why are we studying it? Because I want us to be similar and learn from the earliest stages of the family of God, of the church, to learn how to be faithful. Not faithful to our agenda, 
not faithful to our ideas, but to be faithful to the Spirit of God, to be faithful to the Word of God, to be faithful to the King. Hebrews chapter 10 has some really, really important things for us to understand about this. I meant to read this last week and I ran out of time, so we skipped it, and I'm really glad we can bring it this week. If you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. It's towards the end of the New Testament. If you have the Fresh Start Bible, it's page 1087. Talking about what do we do while we're waiting for the promise of God, we've got to remain faithful. And they remain faithful to prayer and gathering and being united with each other. There's some important things as it relates to being faithful, though, that I don't want us to miss. Hebrews 10, starting verse 19, it says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. What Jesus did at the cross was the beginning point of permission for you and I to have a relationship with God and with each other. So through what Jesus did, we can come to the most holy place. Verse 20, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain in the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who rules over God's house, verse 22, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Friends, can, can I just give you an aside for just a second? When it comes to the promise of God, God gives us promise so that we can trust in him, not so that we can trust him to do an outcome for us. The point of the promise is that we would grow in allegiance and trust to the promise maker. It's about our relationship with God being fostered and growing, about knowing the character of God so that we can believe in him and know him and follow him and be present with him and have boldness to stand in his presence. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood, makes us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. It's talking about water baptism. Verse 21 or 23 rather, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways that we can motivate one another towards acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Well, some people do. <clears throat> but encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover those sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Go to verse 31. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful. Re remember the early days? How you loved God so much that it didn't matter what was coming up on the calendar you were present. 
Remember the early days of falling in love, that it didn't matter what hurdles you had to overcome, you were going to be present. Remember the early days, how it was so easy to remain faithful. Friends, the longer you wait for the promise of God, the easier it is to get distracted. The easier it is to siphon your affections and your attentions on other lesser loves. The easier it is to try to split your allegiance and to put trust in the wrong thing. And the warning is don't forsake gathering together. Don't stop encouraging and praying and stirring and and equipping each other to grow and to continue on the works of God. Otherwise, you're going to begin falling for other things that you give your heart, your affection, your attention to, which the Bible says makes you miss the mark of communion with God. And if you keep on missing that mark of communion with God, how frightful it is to fall into the hands in that moment of judgment. Skip down to verse 35. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. There's that obedience. Then you will receive all that he has promised For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away, friends. We are faithful ones whose souls will be saved. There is an element of perseverance to the Christian faith, hear me, that is required. It is required to experience the wholeness that God has promised. We have to remain faithful in prayer. We have to remain faithful to be united together. We have to remain faithful to to, to being with one another. It's interesting that as they were here in Acts praying together, that Peter realized, um, remember that guy Judas? Yeah, he was kind of one of us. That backstabber betrayer the guy who turned Jesus into the authorities Peter says remember he was one of us but he's not with us anymore can I just tie some thoughts together for you he turned away he did not finish remaining faithful And when he wasn't faithful, he never repented. And as a result of not repenting, he continued in his sin. And we get to the end of this passage in Acts. Peter's praying, and he's like, and he's where he belongs. That's that's some pretty heavy stuff to think about. You know what I think was happening as they were in a moment of prayer together? I think the Holy Spirit was bringing up something in Peter and was saying, hey, Peter, you know how you're offended at Judas? You need to forgive him. See, when you're constantly gathered and you're in a spirit of prayer, the Holy Spirit will bring things to your mind and your memory that you need to address so that you can continue to walk in unity. Peter was being reminded, wait a second, I've got to release some things. I believe God spoke to them in this time of prayer and revealed that they needed to forgive Jesus for, for, for forgive Judas for betraying Jesus. An offense that you carry will distort and distract you from receiving all that God has for you. If you are holding the offense, you cannot receive the gift that God wants to place in your hands. Why? 
because you're already holding something else. When we talk about forgiveness and releasing forgiveness, the word forgiveness means to release. It doesn't mean to make it all okay. Doesn't mean that in forgiveness that you're declaring them, hey, they are right and justified. They are righteous now. It's all okay. That's not what the word forgiveness means. The word forgiveness is about debt cancellation saying, I'm not holding you accountable anymore. In your forgiveness, hear me, hear me. What they were doing was saying, we're not going to hold Judas accountable for what he did. We are releasing him to the hands of God. And God who is judge and just and merciful, who knows all and is all and has all, will take care of it. I don't have to anymore. Friends, offense will keep you from receiving the promise that God has for you. The fullness of what he's wanting to do in your life. We have to release it to God. Can I give you one warning though about what do you do in the waiting season? This prayer, this gathering together, this being united. Because offense keeps you from being united with someone else. It's hard to be united when you're mad at someone else. It's hard to be united with God when you're mad at God. I think we have to be careful, though, not to outpace the Holy Spirit. We we cannot do things in our own strength when we need the Spirit's strength. God, God does not need our help, but He does want our obedience. When it comes to the promises and in this waiting time, God doesn't need your strength, but he does need you to receive his power. When we start to lean on our own understanding instead of asking the Holy Spirit, don't miss this, we start to look for external signs instead of the inward whisper. Jesus never told them they needed to replace Judas. I'm not saying it was a wrong idea. I'm just saying it wasn't explicitly God's instruction for them. In fact, they started making decisions, don't miss this, before the promise of the Spirit showed up. That's why they were casting lots to make a decision. Because they hadn't received the Holy Spirit who was their guide, their leader, the speaker of truth, the one to show them the things to come and how to live their life. Pastor, what do you mean by casting lots? I mean, they played the lottery and threw dice to try to figure out what decision to make. My friends and I, whenever we couldn't decide where we wanted to eat, it was paper, rock, scissors. That's two out of three got to pick lunch. We, we do this though, don't we? We're trying to figure out what to do next. So we throw up a sign, God, if you will do this uh, external thing, then I'll know it's your decision and your will for my life. This is how they were trying to figure out what to do as they remained faithful to Jesus. They were looking for an external sign but they needed to wait for the internal whisper of the Holy Spirit. This is the last time in all of Scripture that casting lots was ever used. Why? Because they eventually received the promise of the Holy Spirit and it would seem good to them and the Holy Spirit to make a decision. They would seek and they would listen for the whisper of God. Friends, you were never meant to live based on your own knowledge of good and evil. You and I were designed from the very beginning of creation to live based on the word spoken to God that we hear in our ears. You and I were designed to live based on hearing God speak to us. And the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out and they started to make a decision and move about. I I don't know if it was right or wrong. God doesn't really, that part of the story isn't really finished. Here's what we know. Number one, they never cast lots again. And number two, Matthias is never mentioned again in the Bible. Two things that I do know to be sure and true. They had a solid process. He even, oh man, please, please don't miss it. Peter even knew something about the Bible. 
think the warning for us is don't go make the Bible say what you want it to say to satisfy the decision that you want to make. We read the word to know the character of God. We sit in prayer so that we learn to practice hearing the whisper of the Spirit in our life. The promise that God has for you is the Spirit to fill you. Why do you need the Spirit to fill you? Because you and I are still waiting on a promise. You know what that promise is? Jesus will return. He's returning for a church and a bride who is holy and pure and has their full allegiance and devotion to him and him alone more than any other cultural norm more than any other human practice more than any other good thing in our life he's the one and he's coming back for us for a singular vision and purpose and we want to wait and remain faithful and not turn away with the distractions of our world we want to remain faithful to Jesus to his family to his kingdom to his covenant to his ways and we want to be united in the bond of the spirit and we are waiting for the promise of Jesus' return so while we wait be faithful church what's the promise that God's given you that hasn't yet been fulfilled have you obeyed all that he's asked of you you're remaining faithful to gather be encouraged be united in prayer seeking God more than you're seeking the blessing of God so we wait we wait for you and your kindness and your mercy Jesus, we wait. King Jesus, we wait. We wait in faith. We wait. Would you stand? I want to read you the words of 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to hear these words as a call for us to remain faithful as a call to us to be obedient as a, as a call for us to be united in some things as a call to be reminded that God is a promise maker and the promise keeper you close your eyes and listen to these words 2 Peter 3 2 and 10 says I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior has commanded through your apostles most importantly I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers, they're going to come. Mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, well, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought forth the earth out of the waters and surrounded it with water. And then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you, not, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand with the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about fulfilling his promises as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Lord, today we've heard your word. 
Lord, I've done my best to communicate the truth in a way that's understandable for us. Holy Spirit, you're speaking to many in this room, many watching online. Lord, where we've been distracted while we wait, forgive us. Where we've become divisive while we've waited, forgive us. When our view of you, Almighty God, has become distorted because we think you are not a promise keeper, will you forgive us, O Lord? Jesus, teach us to be faithful to you and to remain faithful until you return because you are coming again and you will make all things new. May our faith not be in outcomes, but may our faith be in you the faithful one, the ancient of days, the one who is and is still to come. Help us wait and remain faithful, being obedient to what you do ask us to do. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And the people said, amen. Hey, let's speak blessing and encouragement over one another. It's up on the screen. Are you ready? Nice and strong. Let's read it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.